Well, good morning. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We started last week a study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at both 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And Josh kind of introduced us and got us ready to start thinking about what all is going to be talked about in the book of Thessalonians. And we looked first at Acts chapter 17, and we saw where Paul and Silas had made their trip to Thessalonica, and where they had spent only three Sabbath days. So not a whole lot of time, depending on when they showed up and when they left. Could have been anywhere from two weeks to maybe about four weeks. But they didn't spend a whole lot of time there, but what they did do is they preached the gospel, and people believed, and people were saved, and so a church began. So we're going to look at what Paul says to the Thessalonian church here at the beginning of his letter. But before we do, one of the things that you're going to see throughout this letter is that Paul is encouraged by the Thessalonians. And it's important for all of us, for everybody, that we need to be encouraged on a regular basis. Yesterday, being a nice day, you know, temperature wasn't too hot, the rain held off. Uh, I did a a little project of replacing our mailbox. And if you know anything about replacing a mailbox, it typically means you got to dig up some old existing concrete and you got to get a new post and new concrete and and put it back in. Well, Graham, who's five, loves to be a little helper with me. And so he's wanting to do everything that I'm doing. He's out there with the wheelbarrow and the post hole digger and all this stuff. And all throughout the day, it didn't matter what I did. I could, you know, get some dirt out of the hole with the post hole digger and Graham would say, good job, daddy, good job. All day long, all day long. You know, we're mixing up the concrete and pouring it in the hole. Oh, good job, daddy, good job. And he's like that all the time. He's wanting to be an encourager. Even when I throw balls with him in the backyard and he hits them, you know, I throw a ball that's terrible. He's like, that's okay, daddy, it's okay. The next one will be good. You know, and Charlie is this way too. You know, I, I read a book to her and good job, daddy. You read that really good. And these little kids, which hopefully they're learning it from from us, hopefully I'm being an encouragement to them, but they are definitely that to me. And we need encouragement on a regular basis. So while that's awesome and we love it, there was another time just a few months ago, back in May, Samantha and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary. And on Facebook or, you know, all these different social medias, sometimes they will put things on there like, hey, it's your birthday coming up or anniversary coming up. And so a friend of mine that I knew in the Navy, I've been out of the Navy for 11 years now. We really haven't kept in good, good touch since. He reached out to my wife and said, hey, I see it's y'all's anniversary. I'd love to hear from Jake. Here's my phone number. Have him call me. And I had not talked to this guy in probably eight or nine years. So I call him And we got to catch up. And it was so awesome that even though we hadn't really talked in eight or nine years, we were able to to catch up and talk about what life was like and and all of these different things. He had gotten this job when he got out of the Navy where he traveled all over uh, the United States as a crane operator. And so they would build water towers and then as soon as it's done, he would leave and go somewhere else. And he's not a single guy. He's got a family with four children. 
And so they had a, a camper that they would pull behind their truck and that is literally where they lived. So for months at a time, they would live in Texas and then they'd go somewhere else and, and they just did that over and over and over again for years. And then they finally settled down. He's in Pittsburgh now. And so he was telling me that they had found this church when they got to Pittsburgh. And he said, man, we, we got involved. We really like this church. The people are great. And they have a need. They, have, they need somebody to work with young students, basically a student minister. And so the, the pastor had approached him and asked him, would you be interested in this? And so they sat down and had a conversation. And he said, over the course of the conversation, I came to learn that that church believes in baptismal regeneration. So if you're not familiar with that, what that means is the church believes that you must believe on Jesus to be saved, but you also have to be baptized to be saved. You can't be saved if you're not baptized. And he's just telling me like, I don't think that's in the Bible. And I was so encouraged that a friend of mine who never spent a day in a seminary classroom He's just been a faithful Christian for as long as I knew him in the Navy. And clearly, since we had not really talked over the last decade or so, he is wrestling with the truths of the Bible and applying those to everyday life. So I followed up with him a few weeks later after we had talked, and he said, you know, we, we decided that we couldn't worship there. There's differences in what we believe the Bible says, and we, we left. And I was so encouraged to hear that a friend of mine is seeing that things in life matter based on what the Bible teaches. Church matters based on what the Bible teaches. You see, encouragement is good for us. Encouragement keeps us going. And one of the things you're gonna see about Paul in this letter to the Thessalonians is that Paul has been encouraged by the Thessalonian church. So I don't want to spoil too much here in chapter three. I don't know who's going to preach chapter three, probably Josh, but look forward with me to chapter three because you need to understand how Paul is hearing about the Thessalonian faith because there's no email at this time. There's no social media. So it's not like he's getting on Twitter, checking out, all right, well, the Thessalonian church's Facebook page is saying, you know, that they're doing great. They got 24 hours of prayer coming up. It's nothing like that. So look with me at chapter three. Let's just see how Paul knows what he knows about the Thessalonians, starting in verse one. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Verse six, but now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. You see, Paul found out about the church at Thessalonica because he had to send Timothy to go see them. And Timothy came back and he brought this report that they are continuing to keep their eyes focused on Jesus. They're loving the Lord even in the midst of affliction and persecution. They're continuing to stay focused on what matters, to stay focused on the Lord. And so Paul is encouraged. 
And so now let's look and see what Paul begins to say at the beginning of his letter. So chapter one. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. See, Paul is encouraged and Paul is so thankful to God for these people. You see, encouragement can come in a lot of different forms. There's a lot of different ways to be encouraged. Like I said at the beginning, when my kids tell me that I did a good job for literally doing anything, that just makes me feel good. It makes me feel like they love me. It reminds me that they care about me, that they enjoy doing things with me, right? But then that conversation I had with my friend Sam, man, that reminds me that God is good. That reminds me to keep looking to Jesus, to keep my eyes on the scriptures and let the scriptures lead us and guide us and teach us. Now, I'm not saying one of those things is better than the other, but encouragement should do more than just make you feel good on the inside. Now, we need that from time to time. There may be people sitting here this morning that need to be told something nice because they haven't heard it in a long time. There may be people sitting here today that don't regularly hear anyone say something nice to them. Say something that lifts them up. And you all need to know that we need that. I hope that as you come into our church building and as you interact with our church people, that you are being built up, that someone tells you, hey, it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. But more than that, Right, We do need that, but more than that, we also need encouragement that reminds us to be thankful to God. You know, one of the things that Paul is thankful for is that the Thessalonian church has not just become like a club that likes to meet together and hang out, but they are still adamantly focused on Jesus, even in the midst of affliction and persecution. Their eyes have not wavered. They've not looked to the left or to the right. Their eyes are fixed on Jesus. And that encourages Paul. And I hope that when you come to our church, more than just being told something nice, like we're happy to see you, we're glad you're here, you look nice today, I hope that you're encouraged to keep looking to God, to keep your eyes on Jesus. Paul says, we always thank God for you. We constantly mention you in our prayers. And here's why. He says, we're remembering your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in Christ Jesus. You know, one of the things about church in general is that when we come to church, one of the things it does is it encourages the other people that are here at church. It encourages us because what it tells us is that, hey, all these other people that are showing up today, they're still believing no matter what has happened to them throughout this last week, no matter what they've gone through, no matter what kind of discouragement they've seen or faced, they are still believing and hoping in Christ. Your church attendance is important in that way. When we as leaders of the church see people don't come, we, we see that people don't come to church, that is discouraging. Because we start to wonder, are they still believing? Are they still trusting in Jesus? Or are they starting to find other things that they believe in 
Are they starting to turn to other things that they're hoping in? The simple fact of you being here for worship, especially on a rainy morning like today, on a holiday weekend when you could be doing so many other things is so encouraging to us. And I hope it's encouraging to the rest of you that as you look around this room, you are reminded, hey, I'm not the only one who's still believing in Jesus. All these people are right here with me. That we're believing. You being here is an encouragement to the rest of us. And that's important. So we need encouragement. But I want you to notice that again, Paul's encouragement is not simply, they said something nice, you know, send our greetings to Paul. But Paul's encouragement is that their faith is on Jesus and that their church is healthy. So what we wanna look at now is a couple of things that Paul mentions. And there's a lot of things that we could pull out here, but I wanna highlight three, four really. Paul is encouraged because the church at Thessalonica is a healthy church. Now we've talked a lot about churches being healthy recently. This is one of the reasons that we're starting this MAP program or the Ministry Apprenticeship Program that uh, Pastor Josh Womble just prayed about. We want our church to continue to be a healthy church that produces leaders that are going to be leading when us, when, when those of us who are leaders currently are no longer here. There's going to come a day where none of us are going to be here anymore, whether that be because we go somewhere else or because we grow old and die, hopefully it's that. But there will come a day when all of us here in this congregation are no longer here. And will we have done the job of raising up leaders so that the church continues to be healthy long after we are gone? See, that's why we talk a lot about being a healthy church. And one of the things we're gonna see with the Thessalonian church is that it is a very healthy church. So a couple of the things that Paul is encouraged about. Look, ver look first with me at verse five and six. Paul says, one of the reasons he's encouraged is because the gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul is encouraged by the church because the church has received the gospel not only as words, but with power and with conviction by the Holy Spirit. You see, we need to understand that the gospel message is essential to a healthy church. A healthy church cannot be built on anything besides the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, we're not referring to the four books that we find in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel, literally the word gospel means good news. What we're talking about when we talk about the gospel is we're talking about the message of Jesus, that his death, burial, and resurrection has provided for us forgiveness of sins by trusting in him. When we trust in him, when we look to him, the sins that we all are guilty of were placed on Jesus. The wrath of God, his wrath against our sin was placed on Jesus and it was satisfied on Jesus. And that Jesus raised to life and so that we know that you and I can also be raised to new life by faith in him. This is what I mean when we say the, the gospel is powerful. That the gospel came to the church in Thessalonica and was powerful. 
I'm reminded of what Paul says to the Corinthians talking about the gospel. And he says, this is 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now you all know that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You don't have to go far to hear people mock the Bible. You don't have to go far to hear people make absolute fun of what we believe. Because the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But Paul says to those of us who are being saved, to those of us who God is changing our hearts, the message of the cross is the power of God. One of the marks of a healthy church is that the gospel is powerful and it changes people's lives. You know, another thing that's really awesome about church is that when we look across a room like this, there are about as many backstories to people's lives as there are people here. None of us has lived the exact same life. All of us have gone through a ton of different things in our life. There are tons of different ways in which we have sinned and failed and fallen short of God's glory. But what's awesome is that as we are gathered here, we are proclaiming, hey, the word of the cross has changed me. All those things that used to be true about me, they're not true any longer. All of those things that used to define me, they don't define me any longer because the message of the cross, the good news about Jesus has changed who we are. And if all we are is a group of people that just like to talk about Jesus and and it makes us feel good, that doesn't make us a healthy church. The gospel changing our hearts makes us a healthy church. But notice what also he says here. He says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. See, the Holy Spirit is involved in the gospel being powerful because the Holy Spirit is the agent that God God uses to change our hearts. God uses the word and God uses the Holy Spirit to change people. And one of the things, we even talked about this a little bit in my Sunday school class this morning, is that one of the marks of a healthy church is that the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. We see that the, the word of God, the gospel, not only, came not only in word, but in power, right? It changed people and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, and if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you probably have an example, or you can think back to a time in your life where you were sitting here in the pew, maybe it's this church, maybe it's another church, and the preacher was preaching. And you thought the whole time, how does he know this about me? Why is he saying this directly to me? Why does he keep looking at me? I've had that experience. I'm sure many of you have as well. And what's happening is that the spirit is convicting you of sin. The Spirit is using the preaching of the Word to affect your heart and to change you and to get you to realize that there is sin that needs to be repented of. 
that there's change that needs to happen. And this is what God does in his people to change them into the image of Jesus. And that is what Paul is saying is happening here with the church in Thessalonica. The gospel is coming with power. It is changing people, but it's also a work of the Holy Spirit that is convicting us of our sin, causing us to turn away and to repent. These are are marks of a healthy church. That's all under my first point there. But secondly, I want you to see that a healthy church remains steadfast through affliction. A healthy church remains steadfast through affliction. Look at verse six again. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now look also back at verse three. Paul says, I'm remembering your work, uh, remembering before God our Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, they received the word in much affliction. If you remember last week, Josh talked about in Acts 17, when they were in Thessalonica, there was a riot that rose up. And because of this riot, people are are angry at what's happening in Thessalonica. And so the the people there in Thessalonica, uh, uh, Jason and the others, they tell Paul and Silas, they say, hey, you guys need to get out of here. And then what happens is Jason ends up taking a beating for Paul And so things had gotten crazy. And Paul even said, and we even read it here in chapter three. Paul says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, they are living at a time in which there's a lot of affliction. There's a lot of pressure on the church. There's a lot of pressure not to believe in Jesus. There's a lot of pressure not to conform to the image of Jesus. And the church is feeling that. And this doesn't feel like it hits home with us too much, but if you go almost anywhere else in the world, there is intense persecution on those who call themselves believers. We've heard a few stories out of Afghanistan that there are people now looking, actively looking for believers because they can't stand them. They wanna get rid of them. We don't know what that's like but there's a lot of places in the world where that's the norm. And Paul is so encouraged that the Thessalonians, even in the midst of hardship, in the midst of affliction, the Thessalonian church, they are steadfast believing and hoping in Jesus. They know that nothing else is worth waiting for. They know nothing else is worth their time, but they keep their eyes on Jesus. Now we may not be persecuted like church, like churches in the rest of the world. But there's a big threat of distraction in the United States, right here where we are. There is a lot of things that are trying to get us to get our focus off of Jesus and onto something else. Whether that's aligning with a political system, whether that's materialism, whether it's, you name it, It could be anything. There are so many things that are trying to get our attention off of Jesus and get it focused on anything else. The devil would love for you to be absolutely devoted to dare to care, but your heart not be fixed on Jesus. He would love that. 
love for you to serve and do anything that's good or that we would perceive as good as long as your hope is not fixed on Jesus. If he can get your attention off of Jesus and onto anything else, he loves it. And Paul is saying, I'm so thankful for the Thessalonian church that no matter what persecution arises, no matter what affliction is coming to them, their hope is steadfast on Jesus and ours needs to be there as well. But third, third thing that we see that Paul is encouraged about is that the Thessalonian church is sharing their faith. They're sharing their faith. Look at verses eight and nine. Well, really verses seven, eight, and nine. So they received the word with much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit in verse seven, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul is encouraged because the, the faith of the Thessalonians has gone forth. He names two places, Macedonia and Achaia. If you look on a map, these are uh, close, uh, places that are close by. And Paul is saying, man, I'm encouraged by you, the church at Thessalonica. Because not only are you receiving the word in power, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin and to change. Not only are you remaining steadfast through affliction and all kinds of hardships that are coming your way, but you're also being an example you are sharing your faith. You are spreading the good news about Jesus to the, the surrounding areas. So much so that ev- the word of the gospel is going out everywhere. He says in verse, uh, verse eight, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. These are people in the midst of affliction and persecution that they've not hidden and tried to go in a cave and and protect themselves, but rather they have taken the word of the Lord knowing that this is the hope of the nations and they have taken it to their neighbors. These are people that are not ashamed of the message of the cross. They understand it may be foolishness to those who are passing away, but to those who are being saved to those who are being changed by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, it is the power of God. God changes people through the message of the gospel and a healthy church is going to be one that doesn't just say, I'm gonna keep this good news and this message to myself. I wanna give it to others. Now I know that when we talk about evangelism, it gets real awkward because sometimes those conversations are really hard. And the reason that they're really hard is because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. Because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But you know what? At one point, that was probably you and me. We were perishing. We thought the message of the gospel was silly. It's ridiculous. Whole faith is on one dude who supposedly lived 2,000 years ago awesome. Where do I sign up? There are times where you think about what we believe, what the Bible teaches, 
kind of sounds silly. But when God changes your heart, when God takes out the heart of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh, that's when you realize, man, the word of the cross is not foolish. That's powerful. That changes people. And the Thessalonian church knew that and the Thessalonian church could not keep it to themselves. And so they went and they told it to those around them. Anyone who would listen, anyone who would hear, they took it to them. That's part of a healthy church. A lot that we do here in Fairdale, we try intentionally to be involved in the community, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that it's our responsibility not to just serve, but also to bring the gospel with us. That as we serve these meals to these students that are playing on high school teams, football, soccer, basketball, whatever it may be, it's important that we also bring the message of the gospel. And for all of us, not just what we do corporately as a church, but for all of us as members of First Baptist Fairdale, It's important that we too take the message of the cross, which is the power of God, and we share it with those around us, whether that be family members, whether it be neighbors, whether it be coworkers, and on and on and on. You see, the Thessalonians believed that because the good news of the gospel had changed their heart, they knew that the good news of the gospel can change others' hearts. And that is exactly what was happening here and what Paul is so encouraged by them for and thankful for. But this brings me to my last point. In that everything that they're doing, right? The the, uh, receiving the word, believing it, uh, being steadfast through affliction, sharing their faith, all of it is centered on and focused on Jesus. Look at verses nine and 10 again. Paul says, for they themselves, talking about those who have believed in Macedonia and Achaia, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of to come. Notice what's happened with the Thessalonian believers. All the things that they've been doing, all the, the reasons that Paul is encouraged by them are because they turned from idols to the one true living God. It's because they're waiting for his son from heaven because they believe that he is coming back, which he is. They believe that he's the one that God raised from the dead. And they believe that he's the one that delivers from the wrath to come. I want you to turn back with me to Matthew's gospel real quick. Matthew chapter three. In Matthew chapter three, we've got some information here about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came before Jesus. He was preparing the way for Jesus. 
And I want you to see what he says when he sees some Pharisees that are coming to his baptisms. This is Matthew chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume presume to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is before Jesus' ministry even publicly begins. And John the Baptist is saying, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You see, John knows, even from the beginning, that there is wrath coming. He says, Jesus is coming with his winnowing fork. He's gonna separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat he's gonna save the chaff will be burned. You see, John, even at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus, John is warning that there is a a punishment that's coming. There is wrath that is coming. And so also, Paul is saying here to the Thessalonian people, they are believing in Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. You see, we don't often like to talk about wrath. We don't often like to talk about hell and destruction and death and all of those types of things because they're heavy and they're weighty. But the Bible talks about them. But the Bible doesn't just talk about them. The Bible warns about them. It would be wrong for me to not warn you that there is wrath that that is coming. Delivers from the wrath. But that's not where we leave it. The good news is Jesus delivers from the wrath that is to come. You see, wrath is coming against sin and against all those who have rejected God, who have rejected his son Jesus. That day of wrath will come. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus frees us. He delivers us from that wrath that is coming. You see, the the Thessalonian church, the reason it's healthy is not because they have a great children's program, and it's not because they have an awesome nursery, and it's not because they have the best band with the greatest sound equipment and all of that. It's not because they've got the hippest this or that or whatever. The most The thing that makes the church in Thessalonica most healthy is because they are focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is what's gonna make First Baptist Fairdale healthy is if we are focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. Notice he also says that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Chris read the last chapter of the Bible to us right before I came up to preach. 
That is an amazing chapter of scripture. It is so awesome. And it reminds us that Jesus is coming. He says in there, behold, I am coming soon. See, the Thessalonians believed that Jesus is coming. And they were waiting for him. And he hasn't come yet. But his words are still true. Behold, I am coming soon. He is coming. Jesus is coming and you better believe that when he comes this time, it's not to deal with sin because he already dealt with sin. Sin was dealt with at the cross. And for those of us who look to the cross, which is foolishness to a, to a dying world, it is the power of God to change us. And for us as First Baptist Fairdale, everything that we do here, whether it be the food pantry or the children's ministry or the youth ministry or the outreach that we do, no matter what it is, if it is not done with a focus on Jesus, it is for nothing. Jesus needs to be our focus. We need to be reminded each and every day that he is coming back and to live in such a way that we are waiting and, and anticipating his return. Josh talked last week that his coming is gonna be like a thief in the night. If we knew when the thief was coming, we wouldn't be caught off guard. We wouldn't have our stuff stolen. Jesus is coming. Don't get distracted by all the other things that are happening in the world. Don't get distracted by all the news cycles and the things you see on social media. Don't get distracted by the pandemic and whether we should wear masks or not wear masks or get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. Don't be distracted by all of those things that are vying for your attention. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be reminded that he is coming back. Deal with all those other things with wisdom and prudence as Jesus teaches throughout the scripture. But believe it. He is coming. And Jesus is the only one who will deliver from the wrath that is coming. You need to believe that. You need to know that. If we wanna be a healthy church, we gotta keep our eyes on Jesus. One of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper is because it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. We need that reminder. So here, after I pray, we're gonna sing and then we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. And it is a reminder to you and to me and to all of us corporately of what Jesus has done. His body was broken. His blood was shed. You know why? That by believing in him, you will be delivered from the wrath that is coming. And he's not gonna forget about you. He will return. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and an opportunity to look here at the, the words of Paul to the Thessalonian church. God, I pray you help us to be a church that is absolutely focused in everything that we do on your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that you have given us a means to be delivered from the wrath to come, and that is by looking to your son. Jesus himself said that even as the serpent was raised in the Old Testament and those who looked upon the serpent would be saved, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Jesus has been lifted up. God, I pray that our church would keep our eyes on him, that all the things that we would do, we would do with eyes toward Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.